All right, well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all after a bit of a break. Um, some of you here for the first time over the, over the break. So it's good to be able to have you all um, with us. If you don't know who I am, my name is Cameron. I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at uh, Canterbury Gardens. And it is my privilege to be able to continue our very short series uh, in the book of Haggai. Now, I wonder what comes to your mind when I say the expression, the good old days. The good old days. You know, it's an expression that we often use to look back on times that were happier, times that were easier, times where things were more successful. And at times, we just wish we could escape the hardship of our present reality to go back to the good old days. Perhaps it was a time when you were young, when it seemed like you had no cares in the world. Perhaps it was a time when you were involved in some great ministry successes. Perhaps it was a time before you used to get injured just sleeping. Perhaps it was a time before you had kids. And I've got to admit, Signa and I have done some reminiscing at 2am and 3am and 4am about a time before kids. Perhaps it's something else. Or maybe on a much larger scale, the good old days represents a time in history where things were just better. Society was better. Kids played in the street. There was no social media. There was less division. Or maybe right now we all relate to that expression, the good old days. Thinking back to a time before COVID. Thinking back to the good old days before having to sit under tents in 35 degree heat. <laughs> Whatever it is, this expression, the good old days, it captures something about us as a people. A tendency that we have to look back with rose-coloured glasses, because often the reality wasn't that good, right? But we look back, we see the best bits, and we long for it. And without realising it, as innocent as this tendency can be, it can actually cause us to become bitter as a people in the present and disengaged with the work of God to long for the way things used to be. Well, as we come to today's passage, we're going to see that Israel is no different than us. They too were thinking back on the good old days, the glory days. And it was leading them to discouragement and to disengage with God's present work. Now, if you remember last week, Mark did a great job of unpacking that first chapter and setting the scene for the book of Haggai. And, and as a very fast reminder, the book of Haggai is nice and simple. It has one focus, the rebuilding of God's temple after it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian army, about 70 years earlier. And last week, we saw in chapter 1 that Haggai brought the word of God to the people in a word of rebuke. You know, they had begun to focus on their own kingdoms, their own little kingdoms, to build their panelled houses. And they were leaving God's number one building project, God's work, unfinished. And so he called them to repentance, to refocus on his purposes, to turn from their self-focus to a focus on the kingdom of God. And did we not all feel that same challenge last week? to turn from our selfish ways and to refocus on God's work. Well, today, the prophet is going to speak again. This time, not in a word of rebuke, but a word of encouragement. 
You see, the people had become discouraged. And so Haggai is going to speak the life-giving words of God to them again. And we know that today God also has something to say to us. And I hope that you are receptive and open to hear that word. So why don't we pray together now as we begin. Heavenly Father, we ask that by the power of your spirit that you make that you will make this message alive to us today. Make the words of Haggai a sermon for us today. Make our hearts receptive, open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see the beauty of Christ and his gospel. And make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I encourage you, as always, to make sure you have God's word in front of you. Open your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2. We've got a relatively short text today, but as always, there's a lot in it. Uh, Read with me from verse 1. I'll give you time to find it. Haggai chapter 2. I'd love you to have God's word in front of you so you can see what we're reading from today. Verse 1, Haggai chapter 2, says this. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say. Now, just a few things worth noticing here. First, notice the date. Chapter 1's message came on the first day of the sixth month. And this message, one chapter later, comes on the 21st day of the seventh month. So only about a month and a half had gone past since they began to rebuild, since they repented and got back to work, and already have come to a grinding halt in discouragement. But there's two other things to note about this day. Firstly, it was the last day of the Jewish celebration, the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. Now, I'm not going to pretend that you remember exactly what that was celebrating, because we all get the feasts confused, do we not? But the Feast of Tabernacles, or booths, was a celebration of God's rescue of the people out of Egypt and his provision for them in the wilderness, where they literally lived in booths. Maybe today we can relate to that more than other times. But also this date was significant for another reason, and I think more important when it comes to our passage. You see, this very day was the same day that Solomon finished the first temple and the glory of God, the Spirit of God, rushed upon that temple and it was an incredible sight. Perhaps the peak of Israel's history. The temple was finished, God's Spirit came upon them and that was this very day that Haggai comes to this people. And so keep both of these things in mind and we'll see their importance as we read the next verse which really sets the scene for what's causing discouragement. Look at verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So the prophet asks three questions here. All of them trying to draw out of the people what already is going on in their hearts and minds. Some of them there would have seen the previous temple. Some of them would have heard about its glory. They would have known this significant day. It was fresh in their minds. But notice that Haggai does not shy away. He says, is this temple that you're currently building not nothing in your eyes? Is it just nothing in your eyes? He's revealing 
in their hearts that they actually thought that what they were doing for God currently was worth nothing. It was worth nothing. Nothing in comparison to the good old days. Nothing in comparison to the glory days. And so their work had come to a halt. And so do you see what's happening here? On this very significant day, the, the day where they were celebrating God's rescue out of Egypt, the day where they remembered the glory of the previous temple, this people were discouraged. This people, all they could think about was that God's current work seemed like nothing compared to what it used to be. And so you see here that this people, after beginning well last, last week, last chapter, a month and a half ago, that they'd stopped. They had become discouraged. You see, what they saw with their eyes in front of them didn't look very good. They were building a temple that didn't look great. They were experiencing persecution from those around them in the rebuild. They weren't financially prosperous like in Solomon's days where they had peace on all sides. Everything about this situation looked like it wasn't that great. And so they were stuck, looking back. And you know, I think Haggai is drawing out something here that is true for God's people no matter what time we've lived in. And that is to be stuck in the past. Because of the appearing lack of success or the struggles of our current time to look back to the glory days and to be discouraged because things just aren't the way that they used to be. And so I wonder, as you sit here today, if you can relate to the Israelites. Do you find yourselves looking back to the glory days, to when things just seemed so much better? Perhaps personally you find yourself looking back to moments of great success or times of spiritual high in your Christian life. Perhaps back to a time when your faith seemed so solid and grounded and now it just seems so fragile and difficult. Perhaps you look back before some great moral failure, before a sin that you committed that you just can't shake and you constantly have your eyes back there. Perhaps you look back to a time when God just felt so much closer, when the suffering wasn't so intense, when the sickness wasn't so hard. Or perhaps not so much to do with your own spiritual formation, perhaps you look back on the church Perhaps you yourself were a part of significant times of revival or really successful times of ministry. If you were involved in a kids' ministry or a youth group or a church that was seeing people come to God and you just wish that things could be like that. Or perhaps you just miss the way church used to be run. And often sometimes you find yourself getting annoyed with the way church is functioning now. If only they did it like we used to do it, then they'd be seeing results. Back in the good old days. Or maybe, as a church, we're looking back before COVID right now. Maybe we as a church think the good old days are behind us. That it's been hard to meet together, difficult to have any momentum in any ministry. Maybe we look back and go, the good old days are behind us. If only things were like, what is it for you? What comes to your mind? Are we longing for the glory days? And maybe without even realising it. And what we need to see here 
is that looking back to the good old days, looking back to the glory days, whatever it is, whether it's times of great faith or more stable times or before suffering or whatever it is, looking back to past work of God will cause you to miss out on what God is currently doing. It will cause you to disengage with the work that God's doing in this community and the work that God's doing in your own life. And you know, we need to think about this. This may be the reason that you aren't enjoying God's present work in your life or in the church because your eyes are back on something else to the good old days. And so that's our first point. We need to see clearly that being stuck in the past will cause us to miss out on God's present work. That's what was happening to Israel here. They couldn't get past that this temple just didn't look very good. God's work didn't look great. They couldn't see it clearly. But let's keep moving because Haggai is going to provide the solution to this problem. And it's actually an incredible text. So join me in verse 4 as we see Haggai's first solution here. Verse 4 says this, Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Fear not. So you see here, the prophet is calling the people's attention back to the present reality. Do not be discouraged by looking back, but rather be strong, be strong, be strong, and work. He's calling his people to refocus, to be strong in the midst of their present difficulties, to be strong in the midst of the unimpressive work it seemed to be, to be strong despite the persecution that was happening around them at this time, to be strong and work. And yet... The prophet knows, and we know too, don't we, that a command like be strong that causes us to look inward, to try and muster up our own strength is not what the prophet is after here. He's not saying in a worldly sense, be strong, you can do it. No, he gives a basis for that strength. Did you see that? And that basis is the present promises of God that find their root in his redemptive work. And so that's our first solution Haggai has for these people. To get out of the past, to escape the past, you need God's present promises that find their root in his redemptive work. So he says here, I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. My spirit remains in your midst. So you see what he's doing? He's calling them back to the present to a reminder of that's where God currently is. He is working with them. He is present with them. And so they should be too. Their current circumstances, although they could have tempted them to believe that God was not there, he was. He was not just back there. He was present with them today. His spirit remained. But I love what he does here. He says that he is with them now, and then he reminds them of the only reason why that is the case. He reminds them of the covenant that he made with them when they came out of Egypt. He reminds them of his redemption of them. 
You see, it's like he's saying to them, if you want to look back to the glory days, if you want to look back to the good old days, then look all the way back. Look all the way back and see that it was me who rescued you out of Egypt. Look all the way back and see it was me who promised you to be a great nation. That it was me who looked after you in the wilderness. That it was me who brought you into the promised land. That it was me who promised to never leave you and forsake you. Look all the way back and know that the only reason there was a glorious first temple is because of my redemptive work. And then realise that I am with you now, that my spirit remains in your midst. You see, the glory days, it wasn't the first temple being constructed and finished. The glory days was my rescue of you, my presence with you. In fact, the only thing that made the first temple any good was my presence upon it, and my presence is with you now. So refocus. Look all the way to look all the way back at God's redemptive work, purchasing our redemption, enabling us to have his spirit who will never leave us or forsake us. To look back so that we can remember that God has not left us. And so don't miss out. Don't miss out. Eyes for the future. So look with me at verse it's an incredible text. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. Peace. So this text has a lot in it, actually. And it's actually a bit of a debated section, which we'll get to. But what I want to do with this text is I want us to do what someone I like to listen to says, is to to look at the trees of this text, which are a little bit difficult, and people have various opinions on what each of these verses could mean. But then after that, I want us to step back and look at the forest and to see the really simple message that Haggai is trying to convey to this people. So firstly, what's going on with these four promises that God gives his people. Well, the key is verse 9. Verse 9 says that God promises that the latter glory of this house, this temple, will be greater than the former glory of Solomon's temple. So he knows what's in their mind. And so all of these promises here have to do with this temple and its greater glory. Now, something that we need to keep in mind when we read promises in the Old Testament, particularly from the prophets, is that they often have what is called a progressive fulfillment. In other words, they can have almost a double fulfillment or to be fulfilled over time. And also these kinds of promises can also have both a physical and a spiritual aspect to them, which can also make it difficult to discern. And so we need to be careful when we read something like this in the Old Testament, not to instantly jump all the way to the end of the Bible and say, this has all got to do with end time stuff. And yes, it's not untrue, right? These promises here do have an element of end time focus about God shaking the earth in final judgment. We see an element of that when one part of this promise is quoted in Hebrews 12, 26. But we forget that all of these promises that the prophet is making is to a very real people in a very real time about a very real 
temple. And so when God says that the latter glory of this temple will be greater than the former, as in greater than Solomon's temple, he is literally talking about that temple. It's not just a spiritual promise. And so we need to ask ourselves, how does this promise get fulfilled? How is God faithful to this promise? Because those of you who know your church history will know that this very temple was the one that got completely destroyed in 70 AD, completely wiped out. So how does this temple have a greater glory than the temple of Solomon? And how does the shaking of the heavens and the earth relate to this temple? And how do the treasures of the nation come into this temple? Well, I think there are two ways that this physical temple will have a greater glory than Solomon's temple. One of them relies upon you to know a little bit of history. Firstly, to know that under, in 37 BC, under King Herod, under the reign of the Roman Empire, this temple went through a major transformation. Basically, King Herod decided to completely refurbish and deck out this temple. It took about 40 years, longer than it took to actually build the temple. It was a huge project and literally people came from everywhere to build this temple they bought their silver they bought their gold they bought their treasures to deck out this temple and to make it into one of the most amazing sites of the roman empire so we see an aspect of this promise being fulfilled in that god is shaking up the nations under the roman empire they're bringing their treasures and the temple is becoming glorious just like it was back in the days of solomon but secondly And more importantly, this second temple far exceeded the glory of the last temple because of who stepped foot in this temple. You see, Jesus' ministry happened all around this temple. We read that all over the Gospels. It was completely associated with this temple. And so while the other temple had a certain kind of glory, this temple was set foot in by the King of Glory. And it was the ushering in of a new covenant that would come. And that leads us to its spiritual or progressive fulfillment, one that happens over time. And so as we just mentioned, by Christ setting foot in this temple, by its consequent destruction, it signified a new order. You see, from that moment onward, the physical temple was no longer going to be important. Jesus alludes to this when he says that not one stone will be left standing on the other in the Gospels. He also states that he will tear down this temple, referring to his body, in three days and raise it up again. And the Jews are shocked. You see, Jesus, in saying these things, he's showing to the Jews that a shift is taking place. The physical temple is no longer going to be important. What you see with your eyes is not actually going to matter anymore. In fact, this physical temple's purpose has always been about pointing to something greater. In fact, it's pointing to me. Christ sets foot in this physical temple as the true and living temple of God. The true meeting place between God and man by his life, death and resurrection. And so that's one aspect of this glory that we see, but it actually gets even more amazing than that. It's important that we see this as it progresses in God's word. You see, not only does the New Testament show Christ as the new temple, it also displays Christ as building up a temple and us being part of that. Listen to these words from Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself 
being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. And this in 1 Peter 2, 4-5. And you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual temple to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you see the, the, the amazing image of these verses? The glorious picture it's trying to give us, that Christ as the cornerstone, that him as the living stone, and us a part of that are being built up into a temple, a dwelling place for God. It's, it's incredible. It's hard to get our heads around. And so you see, this is this promise being progressively fulfilled right before our eyes. God has shaken up the nations through the death and resurrection of Christ. There's been a cosmic upheaval that is taking place. And God is saving people from every nation and every tribe, and they are bringing their glory to the true temple Christ. And then, as we said earlier, there will be a final shaking of the heavens and the earth. There will be a time when this comes to its glorious conclusion in that beautiful picture of Revelation 21, where it specifically says there will be no temple in the new Jerusalem because God himself will be our temple and we will be a part of that in Christ. There's a lot in these promises, is there not? All of this is wrapped up in God's beautiful promises to the people. And so that's the trees of this text. And, and it's complicated. Some people have different opinions. If you want to chat further, come chat to me later. But what I want to do now is step back and look at the very simple message that Haggai has for the people. The very simple thing that he's trying to do. You see, what Haggai wanted to do through God's word is to fill these people with the eyes of faith to look to the future, to have vision for the future, to have hope for the future, and ultimately to see that they are building into something that is far greater than they realise. And that's our final point. By faith, we are building into something that is far greater than we could ever imagine. You see, for the Israelites, this temple, it was unimpressive, and by some standards it was. But God promised to them that they're building into something great. They're building into something that's going to be so much more glorious than Solomon's temple, but they needed to believe that by faith. They needed to look to that by faith, to look beyond what they could see with their eyes by faith to God's promises that they're building into something great. And is not this the same message that we need to hear in our times, in our lives? We are witnessing this great promise unfold before our very eyes. Like we need to keep this vision before us, church. We need to see that God is working right now, that his kingdom is coming, his church is being built, and it's going to have a glorious conclusion in the throne room. But we need to look with the eyes of faith, to look past what we see with our eyes, 
Perhaps past present discouragements in our lives. Perhaps past the work here at Canterbury Gardens, which may feel mundane at times, to look past that and to know that our work here is building into something glorious because God has promised that it is. And so have faith. But if we don't look by faith, we'll be stuck in the past. What we are doing here will look mundane. In fact, you'll probably be bored with what's happening here. In fact, it will probably be easier just to criticise what's happening than to find joy in the work of God's kingdom coming. Are you stuck in the past? Or are you filled with the eyes of faith, knowing that God has promised that we are building into something great, greater than we could ever imagine. You see, the good old days, the glory days, they're right now. Wherever God is working, that's the glory days. Wherever he is currently working, and he promises that he is working now. This is the work that's going on in CGCC right now, in your life right now. COVID hasn't changed that. The form of the church and how it functions hasn't changed that. We are a part of God's mission, and there is work to be done. And so the question is, Are you engaged with that? Are you a part of God's kingdom work, whether it be in your own life, or are you engaged with the work that's going on here at CGCC? Or are you stuck in the past, disengaged with God's present work, just wishing for the glory days that are here right now? So people of CGCC, be strong. Be strong, be strong, be strong and work. 2022 is not a time to step back from God's work, to step back from God's kingdom work due to fear of a virus, fear of whatever it is. It's not the time to step back, but to step forward. Now is not the time to scale back due to pressures around us, due to our own discouragement. Now is the time to be strong and work with a vision on God's present promises and a hope for the future glory that he is bringing. To see what God is really building. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for texts like this that deal with a very real problem. The Bible is not abstract from what goes on in our lives. Lord, you know that we as a people, we struggle not to be stuck in the past. We struggle to not be, I guess, disengaged with your work because of what we see in the past. Lord, I pray that this message may impact our hearts today, that actually we may be encouraged that your spirit remains in our midst because of the work that you did on the cross. You have not left us or forsaken us. Regardless of how much our Christian life currently may look like it's in shambles, Lord, you have not left us and we can engage with your present work in our lives. And it's the same thing true for our church, Lord, that you are at work. As we look at the vision for 2022, it's exciting because we know that you've promised that it's going to be building into something greater. So, Lord... Fill us here at CDC with eyes of faith to work and to be strong and to work and to be strong and to work and to be strong with our eyes on you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.